midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. Welcome. Hello. Middle ground. Middle ground. Yeah, with Chris and Chris. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm ready for week number two. This is uh, the big number two. Yeah, we've got uh, a great show, and obviously we're wrapping up a great week. Uh, bizarre week, though. This is this has been a bizarre week after uh, a lot, lot of bizarre stuff going on in the world. It is. It's getting more bizarre. Trump has uh, won South Carolina. He has won Nevada, and he's got a clear path to the presidency. See, this is. And, uh, are, are we going to have to talk about this guy every single week? I mean, when when is it actually going to come to pass that this whole joke will be over, and he'll say, "Just kidding." Go on and vote for Hillary. Go on and vote for an establishment candidate, and I'll go back to my hole. When is that going to happen? That is not going to happen, and that's got a lot of people scared. It's got a lot of regular human beings scared. It might come down to Hillary Clinton having to send him back to the hole, and that's my, that might be what it comes <laughs> like, down to. Like she did to Bill. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna make Donald Trump sleep on the couch. It's gonna be sad. Um, no, that's just it's weird. It's it's. Uh, I don't think any of the other candidates can stop him. Um, it's a battle for like second and third place between Cruz and Rubio. He knocked Jeb Bush clear out. I mean, just knocked him out. I mean, he was just a non-factor. And I, I heard today that he actually tried to call Jeb, and Jeb will not take his call. Yeah, it's, it's very. <laughs> Which you know, he called. I mean, he called him a loser. He called him a total mess. He called him all these names. Why would you take the guy's call? Made fun of his family. Called him low energy, Jeb. Yeah, just it's... insulted him and humiliated him and sent him back to retirement. It's just so... ridiculous. You know, the whole mannerly thing to do would be to call and say, "Hey, good luck. It's been good competing against you." But this this thing has been so ugly. All those rules are out the window. Yeah, there's no very little morality left in the race, which is actually the most disheartening part because wouldn't you always look to these guys to set an example? I mean, the very least you could ask of a, of a national politician would be set a good example in terms of behavior and how you present yourself and how you treat others. And these guys are just awful. I mean, they're just awful. It, it is. It is awful. It, it's, you know, that's why I think we talked about this last time. I think Michael Bloomberg you know, class guy, sophisticated, a leader, regardless of what you think of his politics. And he's kind of on both sides. I just think he's he, he there is a window here for somebody like him. And, and he's not a name caller. He's he's not, a, you know, a dirtbag. Uh, um, <laughs> not a non-dirtbag, non which is really going to be the third political party that needs to form, the non-dirtbag party. Well, I think Ross Perot started that party, didn't he, a long time ago? Yeah, <laughs> except he was a dirtbag. Um, no, you know, I, was gonna, I, like, I love that idea, though, and the reason I love it is because you said there's a sophistication there. And he's got just as much money as Trump. Oh, he's got more. I think we talked about this last week, too. I, Trump has like $4 billion and uh, Bloomberg has $41 billion. Wow. And he would probably get as much free press. Here's the thing about Trump that's weird. As much money as Trump has, he's not spending a lot on advertising because no. he's getting free coverage. CNN gives him a huge block every night. Yeah. It's unbelievable. He does not have to spend anything. His name is everywhere. That's And that's the weird part about it is everybody sort of knows he's imperfect. He's rude. He's crass. He's His personality doesn't fit what we normally want in a president. But everybody is so pissed off at the status quo in politics that he's the man. He's he's it. He's he, the, he, he is the man for those people. And but the that's question all, is, well, obviously, it's a lot of people. We, I, it's not obvious. We don't know how big that electorate is. I mean, it's X amount of delegates of the Republican Party and the people who are interested right now. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't but know. I don't, I mean, 
That's I don't know if that translates. Uh, and I'm not to a, to a national election. I don't know. I mean, it very well could. We don't know because you know, I don't, you know, <laughs> here's Trump. After he after he won South Carolina, he's like, you know how he gets. He's like, we're gonna bring over so many Dems. We're bringing over a lot of Dems. <laughs> Everybody loves Trump. He's doing. He's back to doing that thing again. So it's crazy. We're bringing over so many Democrats. <laughs> well, in his uh, victory speech, I think it was Nevada, he said, I love the poorly educated. I love them. <laughs> we're getting the well-educated. We're getting the poorly educated. And I love the poorly educated. I love restaurant workers. I love service workers. <laughs> I love hotel workers. I love them. We're bringing over all of those. Like He's just bringing them over from wherever they were. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't get it, but it's crazy. But people, you're right, though, Chris. People are buying it. It's crazy. Well, and the scary thing is winning begets winning. He's getting all this momentum, all this talk that he's the leader, he's the winner, he's beating everyone. So the bandwagon just gets bigger because people want to be with the winner, whether they know what he stands for or not. I guess. I'm appalled. I'm shocked and appalled. I'm shocked and appalled, but let's move on to something even more shocking and appalling. My dating life or lack I was, thereof. That's what I was going to ask you. What's going on this week? Nothing. I'm uh, firing Tinder. I'm moving on. <laughs> I need a, 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 a bigger, I need a dirt baggier app. It's not working for me. I'm getting nothing but uh, women in their 50s in the suburbs that live 35 miles away with two kids and they don't know how to flirt. Their opening lines are uh, are awful. Now, and wait a I, second. You're supposed to be the one with the opening line. I, when I see someone I like, I fire off an opening line. But the opening line in Tinder uh, is is just, it's not even, it's a turn. I'm turned off right before I'm turned on. So it's, it's a, what do they call them? Non-starters? Non-starters. So what, <laughs> Non-starters. what are your pictures like on Tinder? How many pictures do you have? Uh, I have, my pictures are a little bit different because I had, uh, because I, I've shot a lot of film in Chicago with uh, cinematographers and directors, one of them I think we're going to have on here in a couple of weeks. But uh, I, my pictures are not typical. The selfie and the out with the friends, and they're like they're like professional photographer, but like cinematography shots. It's like a picture of me in downtown Chicago reading a newspaper that that like Ansel Adams took. Like it's unbelievable. <laughs> so they're not they're not typical looks i don't know it's- i don't understand how you're in a city of nine million people there and uh there's nothing going on on tinder uh i need to go back and check my parameters as you know i'm not very good with the technology of it but i i need to re yeah what do you cast you- a wider net i hate to say that because i'm pretty low on the age range thanks to you've inspired me there but i you know maybe go lower <laughs> instead of going higher well i think you have to you know, I'd put like everyone from I don't know twenty six to fifty. I mean, that's about what I have. That is about what I. And have. And then, what about mileage? Are you out twenty forty miles? What? How, how many miles are you extending? It I out? think maybe that twenty four mile twenty four to forty miles thing is the problem because when you put it in that range, you're getting the suburban moms. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you did like ten miles, you're still in the Chicago city limits. And how many? single women in their 30s or 40s live by themselves in the city well i i don't know i I think you could end up with some lincoln park divorcees or lakeview folks who never got married and they've got a condo in the city i mean none of those people those people are not dirtbags they tend to go over to match so is that the thing these days match is less dirtbaggy than tinder that's how i've read it everyone's had a different experience but i view match as the relationship website yeah. Tinder as the hookup website. And then if you really want to really get serious with someone, I think you have to go all the way up to our time because the only people that are actually hooking up are people in their 50s. So our time, 
Tinder, and Match. So, hey, I have something to ask you about. So, People versus O.J. Simpson. Love it. Are you watching Absolutely. it? I'm watching every episode, DVR, and every, I, every episode. Me too. And I've watched probably every episode probably twice just to go through. Really? Yeah. I, I'm I love fascinated. It I'm, fasc- I'm fascinated by that, and I'm fascinated by the awful casting. Oh, like, my these, God. These actors were all big-time oh. actors, but the last time they were big-time actors is when the actual O.J. Simpson thing when was going on yes it's it's great i love the casting so i I, you know i have to say before we get off casting though the worst ever nathan lane as f lee bailey come on is it any oh my god is it any worse than schwimmer as kardashian (laughs) well hey kardashian was at least a little bit of a wuss you know and let's face it ross was the wuss on friends so that's i can see that i see the logic there yeah. But, you know, to me, F. Lee Bailey, and I remember F. Lee Bailey in the 70s, the Patty Hearst trial. and uh, Manson. The, yeah, Manson. And he was involved in all those huge murder cases in the 70s. To me, he was like blue, pinstripe, expensive suit, three-piece suit with the vest and the expensive silk tie. And just the persona and the presence of Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Larger than life, and a cigarette in one hand, and a scotch in the other hand, and f words, f bombs all over the place. Tough, tough, tough guy that you would not want to see on the other side of that courtroom. And they cast fucking Nathan Lane in that role. Yeah, but you have, but go back and remember, by the time F. Lee Bailey had gotten to the O.J. case, he was a little over the hill, and they alluded to he that was. in the he... last episode. So they even they even showed Shapiro and him sitting down, going, "Hey, F., you know, Lee, you need this to get back in the limelight. This is a good case for you." But and, I don't you know. know. He he's Nathan Lane just comes off as uh, he's just so. He's like a caricature. He's a cartoon character. And you it, can't get over him because he was in the Lacaja Falls or whatever <laughs> that thing was. You've never gotten past that. He plays big, loud gay guys that are married to Robin Williams, and you can't get past him. I just think somebody like, a, you know, I don't know where Charles Durning in the, is these days, <laughs> but, you know, somebody like that, a big, a big, tough, older guy who's just commands respect. That's not Nathan That's Lane. good, yeah. I'm with you on that one. They could use a tougher guy there. Charles Durning. God, is he even still alive? That was a good pull. That was a good pull. That was very I, good. Yeah, patting good myself casting. on the back was, for that. Uh, from the old LA days. Thank well you. done. You know who I really do like, though, is, I forget her name, the, the woman who's playing Marsha Clark. Sherry Paulson. Sherry Paulson. She was on Deadwood for you Deadwood fans. And then she, <laughs> uh, she's probably one of my favorite lesbian actresses, actually. We lost oh. her to the other side at some point. Oh. But she is oh. very, very, she has a great, cold, and unlikable face and demeanor about her which yeah. is, a, is a, in retrospect that's a lot of what that trial came down to was people didn't like marcia clark right she's playing that part of it perfectly oh, yeah she is. and so perfectly. i think the guy that's playing chris darden uh, i think he's doing a great job yeah uh cochran i think is doing a decent job the guy who's playing him because he was kind that of is a... for you uh courtney that's courtney vance he played uh <laughs> he was never a star, but he was a very good actor, and he's had very good roles, but he was just never a breakout star. But he, uh, What do you think of the awful makeup job on Travolta to make him Oh, look like okay. I totally forgot about him. That Next to Nathan Lane, that is the worst casting. Yeah, I'm not. That one's tough. He That's is, tough to buy. You know, look, I love John Travolta. He's been great in a lot of things. Pulp Fiction was phenomenal. Lots of great stuff. This is maybe his worst performance I've ever seen. He, you can see him acting. And I hate that when you can see he's not disappearing into the role at all. I'm not don't believe it at all. You can just see him 
faking being another person. Yeah, I would agree. It's just I'm not buying it at all. There's something about you're right. No, it's a great assessment. I, it, now, finally, the lead, Cuba Gooding Jr. as Oh, my OJ. God. You know, the biggest thing, I like Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. too, but and he kind of looks the role, I guess, but the voice, not, OJ had a deep, deep, yeah. bass, ominous voice. And C- Cuba Gooding Jr. is way up here. He's really breathy. He's really, I'm OJ, man. I'm OJ. OJ. Help me help you, Jerry. Yeah, I said like, to pass the Jerry Maguire Cuba. Help me help you. I love you, Jerry. Show me the money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No. I want Arizona dollars, Jerry. Yeah, I can't get past it. I cannot get past it. It's OJ crazy. was more like, I'm OJ Simpson. I'm OJ. I'm not black. Yeah. And you know what? They do this thing with it whenever Kardashian's with him and, the, and they're all together plot and strategy. Yeah. That Kardashian continues to call him Juice. <laughs> I don't buy that. Like, Juice, you got to listen to these guys, Juice. No, I don't, it's true. I don't think so. No, Kardashian was so far up OJ's ass. Which, wait a minute. Now that I think about this, you were living in L.A. when this went down. I was. I Well, I was in Redondo Beach, which, uh, uh, you know, no, another world from Brentwood, believe me. Another world. But I, I was actually on the 405 freeway at the same time uh, that the Bronco was headed to Mexico. It's a true story. True story. I was uh, I was on my way home from work, and the Bronco was behind me. I didn't know it, but I saw all the helicopters above the freeway, and didn't know until I got home and turned on the TV what the hell was going on. And OJ was probably a good I don't know seven eight miles behind me. Crazy times, man. Crazy times. That was uh, weird stuff there in LA after Rodney King, and then the. The OJ thing. Isn't that what it came down to, though? I mean, that's that's the way the show is portraying it, is that L.A., after the Rodney King riots, was very, very sensitive to race, and they were really hesitant to convict O.J. They certainly weren't going to put a death penalty on him or anything like that. So that's how it's playing out so far. That's how I'm... I saw that thing, and I lived through that thing as, an, as a resident of Los Angeles County. I was on that freeway, I you know... Everywhere you went, that thing was on TV. But you were in Chicago at that time, were you not? I was. So what did it have the grip on Chicago in the middle of the country that it did in L.A.? Absolutely. It was it was reality TV before there was reality TV. That was really opened people's eyes to uh, how how uh, how how crazy you know television and media and, and things had had gotten at that point because you know everyone remember everyone in the country remembers watching the OJ uh, Bronco go down the freeway as you said and because everyone in the country was watching the basketball game and they and they and they put the basketball game in the square so everyone was watching the NBA finals I think it was the Knicks and the Rockets yeah and everyone remembers that and. Um, I remember thinking, I remember thinking this because I wanted to be an actor too coming out of uh, uh, college. And I remember looking at that going, that is so LA, that is so bizarre, that is so otherworldly. Uh, and I'm so glad I don't live there. That just looks, that just looks like mayhem out there. And I'm so glad I'm not a part of that city. That's, that's kind of, it was, that's, I don't know if that was immature or what, but that's how I viewed it. I viewed it as not of my world and I'm glad to not be in that world. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was actually there was a five or six year period in the early 90s that L.A. was just a bizarre place to live. In that, the course of that time, we had two major earthquakes, mudslides, wildfires. We had the Rodney King trial, the Rodney King riots as a result of that, that jury verdict. And then on the heels of that, O.J. Simpson. It, it, it was just a really strange time to live in in that part of the country. Anyway, interesting stuff. So I want to get to our guest for this week. This is uh, this is going to be good. She's going to use a name that is not her own, and she's doing that because she is a 22-year-old college student who attends a Big Ten university, and we really would like her to be able to talk about the college experience. She's a senior in college. She's about to go into the world and begin her life outside of college. We're going to call her Rachel, and she's got some stories to tell. When she was a teenager, she lived in the big city. Chicago with her dad, and then she was forced to move to a small town in Michigan to live with her mom. On top of that, today, as a college senior, she only dates much older men, which I want to hear a lot about. So with no further ado, here is Rachel. All right, so Rachel, welcome to uh, welcome to Middle Ground. Uh, nice Rachel, thanks here. for coming on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm very excited. How excited are you on a scale of one to ten? I would say a solid seven. Yeah. Seven. Like I could be more excited, but I'm I'm generally excited. Yeah. Just your general like your general, general level of excitement is what like around a five. Yeah, oh. so it's above it's above normal. Yeah. Okay, so you are sort of excited. A little bit. Chris, we're at plus two, so yeah, we're plus we're two. Going, you know she what? walks around at five, and we took her to her seven. I'm just I'm going to quit while I'm ahead at this yeah. point. Yeah. So um, we we talked a little bit about your story, but I I want to hear you tell because you have an interesting story, which is why we wanted to have you on here. Only child, child of divorce, like many of us are. You had a really interesting late period of your childhood with your dad. Um, my dad. He was an investor, investment banker for J.P. Morgan, and um, so he was also... And this is like 2000s? 2000s, yeah. So he got his job when I was around, right when my parents got divorced when I was about four. Um, and then my mom lived in Chicago as well, and she met a man when I was about seven, and um, it was just amazing guy. She really wanted to live with him, but he had a really great job in Kalamazoo, Michigan, so she moved to Kalamazoo, and just... For schools and other reasons, um, my mom really wanted me to stay in Chicago, so I stayed with my dad. Because you were, where were you going to school at that point? I was homeschooled um, for my like beginning of my schooling career until I was in fifth grade. Homeschooled by by who? By a tutor, um, just like a, it was a woman that um, had previously taught at Latin Academy. And she uh, came over, and she was teaching me. You had a driver at one point who would pick you up and take you to school. Yeah. This is this is before that. Um, this was before that um, because I was homeschooled. But from sixth grade, when I started going to public school on, um, I had a driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who would take you to where? Take me to school. Yeah, I to went. To, I went to Latin Academy. Yeah. Which is didn't Hillary Clinton go to the Latin school? No, she's no. from Park Ridge. Yeah, she went to okay. Maine Township High oh, School. I thought she went. I thought she went to the Latin school. No, no, she didn't. She was a suburban girl. She went. To, she's from Park Ridge. Okay, yeah. you know what? Then I gave her way too much credit for going you to really a, a, an elite private school, and she actually <laughs> went to a, a public school. So yeah. she went to a. She went to the same high school Harrison Ford did. I okay. checked my yeah. uh, math on that. You know what? Then we should thank all thank you, Chris. We should all feel the burn. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what was the 
What was the high school experience like going to Latin? I mean, I, I used to live not far from that school in Lincoln Park, walked by it, obviously very well-to-do kids. Uh, I want to say they're the lead, very, very expensive school to go to, private yeah. school, and these kids tend to go on and do pretty, pretty well. Um, what was that like? Because it's not the typical high school experience. You're in a, a major city. Um, I mean, what's that like? It's just not a typical high school thing. Definitely not a typical, a typical high school experience. Um, I feel as though I was brought up in a situation that was a little bit different than, or a lot different than a lot of kids in America. I grew up with only kids of the upper class um, surrounded by me, and that was kind of interesting for me because I felt as though that kind of almost in my like soul of a human being, I didn't really fit in with these people, but also I was in a situation where um, you know, my family life and everything like that, I have always been grown up to be an upper I mean I was raised as an upper class individual I mean I I'm not something that someone that's embarrassed by that by any means so um, you were forced to sort of be uh, ahead of where you actually were a little more mature than your age yeah d oh definitely I mean growing up as an inner er, I hate saying inner city because so many kids that I went to school with said I grew up in inner city Chicago but well, that's interesting. I didn't when you say inner, inner city, city though people think like oh minorities and yeah. a rundown school and you know gunfire overhead but that what you were inner city the Latin for people who don't know the Latin school is in downtown Chicago it's yeah in Lincoln Park yeah it's in Lincoln Park but it's a very elite academy for wealthy uh, yeah. high achieving kids I mean, you're paying almost there's two of them there's francis parker and latin and mm -hmm. obviously latin's right there on north avenue pretty much at north avenue in the lake yep. right yeah. by second right by second city right in that area yeah. so that, that i mean that's an it's got a distinguished list of uh, alumni and things like that but what i wanted to ask was uh and if i'm not mistaken if you said this earlier you were living in the palm olive building at this time the yes. old playboy building right in the gold coast yeah. and uh this is in the 2000s like that's right when vince vaughn bought that uh huge penthouse right there i mean mm -hmm. what's that like living in that building and you know coming up and down elevators that again that's not a typical high school existence no, not at all. And it was definitely a lot different also because I lived with my single father um, who was very single. He was always dating. and um, <laughs> I want to be very single. Yeah. Chris, was... are you very single or are you just yes, single? Yes, I'm a, a hopelessly single, whatever that is, <laughs> whatever that category is. So, yeah, very. My dad was very single but also very sexually active at the same time. And I Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay, so you moved in with your dad at what age? Um, I would say seven or eight. I mean, my mom moved officially moved to Kalamazoo when I was about eight years old. Yeah. Okay, so seven or eight, but in you, the first thing you say about your dad is he was sexually active. How do you know that? So with my dad, he's, he's a very good man. I mean, he's very smart. He's, I mean, he had an amazing job. He was making a shit ton of money and yeah. because he was smart. And, but at the same time, my dad was also very good looking. And um, he used that to his advantage, I would say. He was having lots of parties at this parties, time too, right? Parties, yeah, a lot of parties. And I, what was your role at those parties? I would say my role was my dad was very proud of me as a child, but um, my dad was also very vain. I always felt his love through his affection towards me um, due to, my, I would say, my physical appearance. Not I'm, And this is not for me to sound vain in any way. My dad is just, he is vain. So for him, it was let me trap my little daughter around in her, you know, pretty little dress at the age of seven and look how beautiful my daughter is. She's so cute. And it just grew as I got older. It was... It wasn't. I mean, I think we may have, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong, we may have come across our first instance of a trophy daughter. A trophy daughter. <laughs> I was. In, you were a In trophy. the flesh, I was definitely a trophy daughter. So what? So he'd bring you into these parties and what? So they're full of. Yeah. So, I mean, I lived in the old 
the old Playboy Playboy building. World, Playboy building. So who was at these parties? I would say my dad was very highly involved with that Playboy culture. My dad was a player within Chicago. I mean, I would wake up in the morning and I would see like a half naked Playboy bunny in my kitchen. <laughs> Anyone that was to do in Chicago, definitely. I mean, all of his coworkers. So you, so your dad would trot you out at these parties yeah. because you're a very beautiful young girl. And what would you do? Would you like juggle or do put on a Nothing. show? What were you like a like a twirl? Gotta think you twirled. Yeah, I twirled a few a times. Curtsy? Definitely. Do a curtsy? Yeah. I was definitely in my finest. Um, <laughs> I felt as though at the young age that I was there to show kind of that my dad was a family man. He had a daughter, you know, he, he oh, wasn't just so a this player. This is his way of saying, look, I'm a good dad. Yeah. I'm a good guy. Like I have, I have full custody of my daughter. And that was something that for my mom, my mom, my mom divorced my dad, but not for reasons that he was irresponsible or anything like that. So right. he was just portraying himself as he would to my mother. You know, I'm a mm -hmm. good, I'm a good dad. Like I have this daughter. Look at, you know, she's so beautiful. She's beautiful. She's so nice. She's so cute. And as I got older, I started to realize that this wasn't for me to meet people. It wasn't for me to be involved in the party. It was for him to show that he wasn't just a player. And I think it was honestly part of his whole pickup line and pickup uh, story to women, which I don't think he needed me to help him. So I just don't really know why my involvement was there. But yeah, I was going to say, are there services online where you could rent a daughter for an afternoon or is there something available? I think we may have tapped into something here. I think it's called seekingarrangements.com. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's all about keeping up appearances. I mean, certainly if you're dealing with very, uh, you know, well-to-do, highly educated people, I think maybe it's important to show them that you're a good father, too. I, I can see that. I can see why someone would, would make that effort to try and show that to their coworkers. But, man, that is that is something. So what? Ha so at I know at fifteen you ended up moving from your mom. I think uh, said enough is enough, right? And you moved from Chicago to a, a very small town in Michigan. Yeah. So when I was um, around fifteen years old, I you know I just got my first car because I'm going ahead to drive. My dad buys me this buys me this sick matted out Range Rover. I was so excited, and then my dad got in a lot of financial trouble dealing with some poor financial decisions that he made within his, um, his job and within his own personal issues. So um, my mom was like, okay, I did not realize this is what was going on because I feel as though, you know, in that stage of my life, I was, you know, with my dad who taught me that you're, you're supposed to put up a show for people. You know, you're supposed to mm -hmm. show them nothing but the best. It's so all about, all about the external image. All about the external image. So, I mean, from everything that you wear to how you present yourself through your words to people, it's all about what they are going to think about you. So I never presented to my mom even how serious the situation was going on. Like, I didn't tell her about the parties and things like that ever, really. I mean, maybe a little bit when I was younger, but I kind of almost learned, I think it was just through my dad, that I shouldn't be talking about that kind of stuff. And I don't really know how he had that influence on me not to tell people about that. Um, obviously I would tell my friends cause I thought it was cool when I was young, but I mean, I wouldn't talk to my mom about that. So finally when the financial issues hit, my mom was like, wow, okay, this is not okay. And I had a very close relationship with my mom. She kind of just realized that it wasn't a safe situation for me to be in. Yeah, All right. Sorry, so how did you change? So you're in, you know, Chicago, the Playboy building, your dad, the parties, the Range Rover, and then all of a sudden you're in this small town, public yeah. high school. And you were there for a few years until you graduated. Yeah. How how did you change from being the 15-year-old freshman who just transferred from the big city 
to being the 18-year-old graduate of Madawan High School? I think I changed a lot um, from, I feel like I knew where the rest of the world was kind of coming from, even though Matawan itself and Kalamazoo itself is very isolated from the rest of the world. I mean, probably, I mean, especially Matawan, complete white community, um, not a lot of any racial integration in the community at all. I would say that I knew personally from my graduating class about, I would say maybe two or three black people. I mean, that's horrible. I mean, uh, out of a graduating class of how many people? 175, 200 maybe. Wow. So, I mean, that's not a big graduating class by any means, but also... No, but only two black people I mean, in 175. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, when I finally left there, I was completely eye-opened. I mean, I I can genuinely say I grew up in a completely different atmosphere and experience than these people I'd ever experienced, and I became such good friends with people that I would never even imagine that I'd be friends with before, and that helped me realize, I think, just more about myself and realizing that I was more than just you know, a pretty girl prancing around parties with my dad. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was also like a really smart girl that deserved a lot. And I deserved really true relationships. And I realized some of those real relationships, those honest, beautiful relationships you find with people were with people that maybe weren't from the same social upbringing that I was from. Mm -hmm. And that was really eye opening for me because I felt before I had always had maybe more shallow relationships I mean, because my dad was known a little bit in the community of people and especially, you know, amongst my friends, I definitely was known, like I had a dad that didn't really care what I did. So obviously my friends want to come to my house, have fun, party, whatever. And, you know, I went to Madawan where I had a mom that cared if I was home at 11. If I wasn't home exactly at 11, I would be in trouble. I'd be grounded. I never experienced that before. Yeah. You know, I was with friends, that their parents cared about where they were, what they were doing, you know, who mm -hmm. they were friends with or things like that, their education, you know, are you actually learning things in school? That's something that I was never asked. You know, what did you learn today? I didn't, I was never asked that before I moved in with my mom and dad or my mom and stepdad. Um, so I think it was really eye opening for me. So there, there's so many, there's so many ways we could go with this, right? I mean, the fact that your dad, who was so permissive and promiscuous and mm -hmm. all about his image and his outward appearance and all that stuff, and then your mom, who was very virtuous and and really wanted to raise you in a way that you respected society and society respected you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what a difference. How did these two people ever come together? So there's that, which is which would be worth exploring. Yes. But th there's also from five or seven, I'm sorry, from seven to fifteen. That's a that's such an impressionable age. Mm -hmm. So you're learning from your dad that anything goes. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as you look good and you sound good, and people like what you're doing, it's okay. Yeah. So sexually, you're with the hottest, best-looking people you can get, and you put on the best image, you put on the best show, and then at 15, you go to your mom, who's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's about virtue and honor and respect and all this other stuff. So that must have bred in you a conflicting view of relationships sex intimacy mm -hmm. i mean how do you now you're 22 yeah how do you reconcile that now what what how does that uh manifest itself in your life i definitely relate a lot of my sexual my issues with my father have reflected on my sexual being i wouldn't say that i have daddy issues by any means so what it, how, how has that influenced your life now as an adult at 22 based on what you saw when you were with him. One thing that I wanted to be 
defined as was not by my beauty. And I'm not saying, I don't want to sit here, obviously, I don't want to ever define myself as like extraordinarily beautiful because I don't feel that way about myself. But I would say that I was portrayed as that growing up. So I wanted to define my attractiveness or how people were attracted to me by something else other than my beauty. I wanted someone to be intellectually attracted to me. I think that was a big thing for me. But I think also that grew on to the fact that, and I don't know exactly how my dad affected my you know, sexual encounters or anything like that. And it feels weird saying dad and sexual encounters in one word or one sentence, but he did in, in a way I did grow up with a lot of people that were older than me around me. And I think that really did affect the fact that I am usually attracted to older men and I don't know why that is. And I don't know exactly how that was affected from my childhood over into my adulthood, but what are, in this day and age, mm-hmm. if I could just jump ahead to the cut to the chase, I mean, what are the aphrodisiacs? You talk about you've been attracted to older men. I've yeah. heard different theories, and obviously, older ideally, an older man would be established in business and or whatever would just be kind of settled and things like that. But then I've also heard that you know they've accrued so much knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and things like that over the years that that makes them attractive. You know, some women are crazy about salt and pepper hair, appearance, different things like that. But uh, when you think about aphrodisiacs and what really turns you on, what do you think it is? I think the biggest thing for me is, um, I mean, I've had a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of sex in my life, but I would say for my age, I'm sexually active. And for me, I realized at a young age um, that I was more intense when it came to sex. I wanted more than just to get off and... I think that's what really led me to be more attracted to older men. I don't know what the switch was from that, and that's what I've always tried to figure out. Like, when did I like look at a guy, an older man, and be like, "Oh my gosh, that's who I want to be with"? Um, because I don't think there was ever that moment in my life. But I think a big thing for me is the intellectual aspect of it. Like I said before, I don't want to be known as someone that's just beautiful I want to be known as someone that's you know funny interesting smart because I know I am those things and I think for so long I was told I I wasn't told but I was kind of portrayed as that I wasn't those things so I would say a big thing for me is when you're talking to an older man they want to get to know you because they've had sex with women more than a younger man has I mean I'm in college right now at a big Ten university and there's so many guys out there, but they're just trying to have sex. They don't know how to get to the woman and get to the woman to have that in- intense, beautiful, passionate sex because they just want to get off. A lot of times they don't care if a, a woman or a girl feels anything out of it. And that's not in a rapey way by any means. It's just honest. So I think a big thing for me was I wanted that intellectual side of it and I wanted to get to know someone. And I felt that a lot of times with older men, they want to get to know you. And it's not ingenuine or anything like that. It's that they genuinely want to talk to you and understand what makes you tick before they put it in you pretty much. <laughs> wow. It, no, so do you... Do you <laughs> I don't know if that well, was bad. <laughs> if, we, if we had commercials, we'd go to a commercial break right now, but we don't have any sponsors. That's interesting that if you think about your father... Mm-hmm. Right. So here's a man who recognized you pretty much solely for your physical beauty and trotted you out at these parties as a showpiece. And now as an adult woman, 
you are looking for a man of a similar age mm-hmm. as your father yeah to recognize you for something other than your physical beauty yeah it's almost i mean I, i'm no psychologist but it, 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 <laughs> obviously it, it is it is a sort of a a pretty transparent compensation for something that you didn't have as a younger woman as a young girl yeah Chris, as of now, you are a psychologist. and uh, Can I put letters after my name? Put letters <laughs> after your name. And I've actually, uh, though you can't hear it from the microphone, I'm laying down on a couch right now. I'm just listening to this. I don't, you know what? That just brings over an image to me that I just don't want. I don't, I don't want to know if you have pants on. I don't want to know where your hands are. I don't want to know anything. So, oh, but, <laughs> Yeah. You know what I am? I'm, now I'm Chris Otto, M.G., Nice for middle, middle ground. ground. Yeah. Well done. No, but so so this brings us to a point now. So Rachel, you're you know we mentioned this earlier. You're in school at a Big Ten university, huge, huge Big Ten university. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris and I both went to a Big Ten university 30 years ago. What strikes me is that the views of sexuality, of intimacy, of sex between you know a boy and a girl in college is so much different in 2016 than it was in. 1989 or 1990 I mean Chris I don't know about you but I was still sort of in a mindset where oh my god I I can't have sex until I'm married well yeah or at least until I meet the woman I'm going to marry but I mean now I mean Rachel I'll let you talk about it a little bit but what is the attitude towards sex now because it's it's not that no not at all I would say um I mean surprisingly enough when I was younger, my friends got me go got me to go to this um, purity. I wouldn't. I don't even know what it was. I would say convention, for lack of better words. Um, and I went to this place, and they were like, "We're cool, we're fun, but we also promote purity." And so I got a purity ring from this. I think it was called sl- silver ring thing. If anyone wants to look it up, pure a purity convention. I don't know what the fuck it was. It was weird. <laughs> what is? I've never heard of this. I don't know. It was like this. I was never invited. Uh, me at the age of like. I 18. was invited. I got. I got kicked out. I was. <laughs> kicked hit, out. I was. I was embarrassing. I yeah. was. I was hitting on everyone. It was awful. <laughs> when you hit on everybody. Pope John Paul, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Although he was pretty cute. He but, was open. He was open to it. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't mad about it. Oh, I, guess. I can see the letters from the Catholics. <laughs> Here we go. So, did you rebel against the purity ring? What? I didn't rebel. I mean, I had a boyfriend like later on in high school, and that was my like I lost my virginity to him type of thing. At, at what age? 17, 16. In Matawan. In Matawan. So you didn't lose your virginity in Chicago. No, 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 no. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I was young still when I lived in Chicago. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm very sexual, and I would say 14 is a little too young to right, have right. your first sexual experience. Absolutely. So, but so you go on, you graduate from there, and you uh, are at this Big Ten University now. Yeah. Um, and you're in a sorority. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Chris and I have talked about this quite a bit when we even conceptualize the podcast. The view and the perception of intimacy in college now is so different than it was. 20, 30 years ago when we were there and you, I mean, I think you can provide some insight that we, we just don't have. So what hookup culture is real? <laughs> a hookup culture. I mean, yeah, yeah completely. It, it, is that what it is? Would you describe it as a hookup culture? A hundred percent. I mean, I have talked to a lot of my friends and we've even said like a relationship in college is so laughable. It's just laughable. I mean, 
people aren't looking to have a relationship in college. People that do, it's funny when they take it seriously, honestly, because it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, explaining kind of how, where I'm coming from, I, I rushed a sorority when I was a freshman and mm-hmm. a sorority. I love the friends I met, met in my sorority. They're amazing, funny girls, crazy, good time. But at the same time, I'm around people where three to four nights a week, we're going to a frat mm-hmm. where it's all guys our age mm-hmm. and we're in a dirty frat basement. And I want to say this right now, as a senior in college, I'm not going to four f- different frat houses a night anymore, okay? I've moved but you on. used to do that. I used to do this, okay? I just want people to know that I'm not still doing this at the age of 22, <laughs> okay? I Maybe one a week, maybe, maybe, maybe a pregame to the bar. I'm, that's about it. So, <laughs> anyway, so, I, um, yeah, so, like, going to these places, these guys, it's the sole thing. They are trying to get you drunk and hook up with you. Like, that is what it is. I mean... You go, people are hooking up everywhere. I mean, I know in my sorority, for example, I would say that we have higher standards when it comes to like, hey, maybe don't fuck a guy in the middle of the dance floor. But, um, <laughs> wow, in front of everybody. I'm just kidding. I mean, like, that would never happen in my sorority. That's what I'm saying. But I right. feel like in other houses, maybe if you talk to a different sorority girl, things could be a little bit different. But sorry, guys, I'm from a maybe a little bit nicer, nicer girl sorority. You know, we're, we're not too bad. So but I would say we hold each other to higher standards. But at the same time, at the end of the night. But when we were doing that, I mean, it seems like the women had there was such a focus on reputation and rightfully so. I mean, they yeah. had to guard their reputation. I mean, it was, I mean, if a woman hooked up with a dude, then that like that woman has a reputation. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's, I'm not saying it's fair, but that's just the way it usually plays out. But you and I went to college in a different time where, you, you know, and, and this is my impression of the Midwestern mindset, right? And I, after I graduated from, from college, I went to California and spent some time in New York and on the coast. And I realized that in the Midwest, you are raised to graduate from high school, go to college. Everybody has to go to college. And in college, you meet your spouse. Mm -hmm. And after college, you get married. And then you have your first kid. And then you have your second kid. And then you turn 30. And then you start looking around for that second wife. (laughs) (laughs) But, But if you went to college, especially a Big Ten University, which, you know, all the Midwestern states have a state school with 30, 40,000 kids, so 20,000 members of the opposite sex. If you can't find your spouse there, then what's wrong with you? That was sort of the Midwestern thing. But now, I mean, like you're saying, Rachel, no one's looking for a relationship in college anymore. Now it's how many notches on your bedpost. It's not about finding your life partner. But the whole thing has been pushed back. What I'm saying is not only, okay, so like you said, okay, so we graduated college and then we would have ideally the one career that you would have and then you get on one career path get married, have a couple kids. So you'd, you know, you by, by 30, everything was a done deal and you were settled. But what I'm saying is in the age of millennials or whatever they're called now, not only when you get out of college, you're just starting like a 10 year apprenticeship. You're not ready to begin a career. You're not ready to begin a life. You're not ready to begin a relationship. The people I meet now that are turning 30 years old are what we were when we were 22. Like they're just getting started at 30. They're mm-hmm. just entering a, a respectable career or some kind of career path they're just getting set now to get serious about relationships i'm serious i really think the whole thing has been pushed back 10 years i really do i completely agree with you i think that i mean looking at myself i'm graduating college in a couple months here and 
I have a job in Chicago lined up for me, but at the same time, I'm not looking at that job like, okay, so what man is coming along with that? You know, who, you know, who is there at the end of that tunnel? It's, okay, this is the next spot in my life. You know, I'm planning on moving in with like three of my sorority sisters in, you know, Lincoln Park, Lakeview area. I'm looking to have a good time and, you know, continue my 20s. I'm not looking to settle down. And I, I would say almost every single person, unless they've had a serious boyfriend for years and years in college, are, are looking for the same thing. I mean, we're looking for a time in our lives where we can continue kind of our college age and that, you know, partying and having fun, but also we're supposed to be serious and having a job. I mean, that's why a lot of us are looking at jobs and sales and, you know, we're just kind of like, Hey, whoever wants to hire us, hire us and <laughs> um, let us have fun in the meantime. So a lot of it is, it's not about looking for that significant other. I can't say that in college I once went on a date, talked or had sex with a guy that I've been like, wow, that's the one. Like, mm-hmm. that is the guy that I'm going to take home to mom and dad. I'm going to have kids with him. He's the one for the rest of my life. I've never even mildly thought that. Do you even want that? No, I don't want that. And I would say most girls in, that I go to school with don't. And if you find that, if you find someone that you seriously connect with, that is so special and good for you. But I know probably two or three people out of, you know, for example, my sorority has almost 180 people in it. Um, so I know a lot of people above that and I don't I know two or three people that have a serious relationship that I would be like I hope I go to their wedding one day like other than that it's like I hope they find someone you know before they're 30 that they can marry if not I mean good for you I don't know so you're so you're a couple of months from graduation yeah yeah I graduate so you graduate in May and then you're you have a job lined up in Chicago so you go to that job I mean do you do you even want to get married someday is that a goal yeah definitely a goal Definitely a goal, but not something that I see anywhere in the near future. Looking back at my college experience, it's, it's interesting that you have 20,000 people of the opposite sex who are uh, potential partners. Mm-hmm. And then you get out of college, and it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. It's, you, you know, And a lot of people don't want to date people you work with. You know, meeting people at a bar is sketchy. So I, I don't know. It's, I guess you have online. Where, would you, where do you think you might meet? your life partner the way things are going at it I would say probably online and I think also going back to kind of why maybe our there's been a change of thinking for people my age also I mean 50% of marriages end in divorce nowadays so that means 50% of the kids that I'm going to school with now their parents are divorced they Mm -hmm. see something like that that they don't want to be I look at my parents divorced and I'm like okay that is great I'm so happy my parents got divorced because I would never want my mom to be married to my dad because she's met an amazing guy that is her soulmate she's supposed to be with. But a lot of people don't even have that. They don't see the light at the end of the tunnel or those options for them. So I think for me, it's about what can we do to change that? If that means I'm not supposed to get married until later on, it doesn't mean that the person I'm going to go to school with, that I'm going to date while I'm 20 years old, when I don't know anything about the world, that person's supposed to be the person that I marry for the rest of my life. Why wouldn't I want to see who else is out there and see what else I can get out of the world and get out of my bubble that is, you know, Midwest and, you know, see what else I can get. And maybe that's the person I'm supposed to marry. So, but we talked about, we touched on this earlier. So you find it more beneficial and better for you to date somebody who's older. Yeah. So now you go into the working world and you're going out to Chicago bars or clubs or whatever, your work events and social networking events. Do you think the person you will end up with 
is going to be 10, 15, 20 years older than you? Or do you anticipate sort of the men catching up to your maturity level as you age and ending up with somebody closer to to where you are? That's a really good question. And I don't know. I, I really don't know. Ideally, I would love to be with someone my own age just because, you know, you get to share the same like life experiences with them at the same time. But nothing is ideal in this world. I can't expect anything that I truly, you know, that is ideal or that I want to happen. So I really don't know. That's a really hard question to ask. And I would say right now, the maturity level I'm at can at parallel with the maturity level of men that are in the same grade or age as me in college. I would say, yes, right now I would much rather be with an older man. Well, that, it's interesting that at your age, so you're 22, and that's you know a very prime age for a young woman. She's coming into her own. She's getting out of college. She's experiencing the world and coming into her, her self-confidence and self-esteem and who she is as a woman. And men in their 30s or 40s are starting to get established and stable and more mature, and you know they're not necessarily looking to just get laid anymore they're looking for something real i can't wait till i reach that stage (laughs) (laughs) present company excluded i i I see the logic of that connection but Mm -hmm. go forward 10 years when that woman is 32 and she's probably thinking i really would like to have a family i'd like to have children and that man now is 62 Mm -hmm. right i mean that's a much bigger deal than it was a lot earlier how how do you as much as you want to date an older man today mm-hmm. you must think forward to what is that going to mean for my life if I end up falling in love with somebody who's 20 years older than me I think that is something that I would worry about if I, I love her I just I'm speaking for all middle-aged men don't think about it too much <laughs> please don't I know because it's not about the math, and we can, and they've got with modern technology now and stairmasters and treadmills, a regular dude can go till 80, 90, 100 years old, and he's going to be a good dad at that age, and he's going to be healthy. Yeah. And we'll be back after these messages, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. No, I mean, but, I but it's an interesting question. I, I do, but, and, and Chris, I think you're actually making the point, right? It makes a lot of sense for a young beautiful, vibrant, intelligent, mature 22-year-old woman to want to be with a man who's 20 years older than her because he's matching her maturity level, he's matching her what she needs in terms of stability and security and guidance and and trust, which doesn't say a lot for the, the 23, 22-year-old boy, man of today. It says what it said before. It says what it's always said. They have a lot to learn. They have a lot to go through, and they, and it takes them longer to develop. And uh, they, it's always taken men longer to develop than women. I agree, but it puts the woman in a dilemma because at 22 years old, it's much more beneficial to be in a relationship with someone who's 20 years older. But then fast forward 20 years, when she's in her 40s and he's in his 60s, you know, thinking about retirement and if there are kids, he's going into college. A big thing for me is also like intellectual maturity level, but also sexual maturity level. I mean, when you're having sex with someone that's 20 at the same age as you, they've they haven't had the same, you know, they haven't had the same go around as a guy that's in his 40s. So I think for me, a lot of it has been those sexual experiences I've had with older men, I think, have also driven the intellectual experiences I've had. And those two combined have helped me realize that right now at this stage of my life, 
those men get you more. I mean, it is wonderful to have sex with a man that understands the female body. You know, when you're having sex with a guy that's 21, 22 years old and he's only ever had sex in a frat house while he's hammered off brunettes, it's not really an ideal situation. So I would say that is something that is a big driving factor, I would say, for any of those girls out there listening. If you are and you're (laughs) 22 and you like to, you know, fuck 45-year-olds, then you understand what I'm saying. But it's... It's, it's on multiple levels of it. So I would say, you know, once I get older and I'm in the, that stage of my life where I am looking for someone to get married to, someone to have children with, share my entire life with, I can't even imagine that state of my life right now because in my culture, you know, as a millennial, that's not really something at the age of 22 I need to even look at. Some girls, I'm not lying, they have those Pinterest boards where the, it's like, what my wedding will look like, what is my wedding dress, you know, things like that. Maybe I'm a poor representative of the female culture because I am not like that in any way. But I think I'm a great representation of girls everywhere that are kind of, you know, sick of the bullshit of 22-year-old frat guys humping their leg and are more into the fact that there's other opportunities. I think you're a tremendous representative of uh, females. And I'm anxious, right, down to, I'm anxious, down boy. I'm anxious easy, to meet easy. you when you move to Chicago easy. in the spring after graduation. We'll have a friendly drink. <laughs> I have I, no. I, I have a serious question. How does a twenty-two-year-old college girl meet a forty-five-year-old man? I don't know. No, I, no, no. I have no. Okay. I have no. I've. I have. I have no hidden agenda here. No, I'm just, no. I'm not asking that. But I'm saying. I'm like, actually trying to do a service for people like Chris and <laughs> others who want to meet a twenty-two-year-old woman like you. Yeah, because no. I have to tell you, while this is going, while we're all talking here. I just got a woman sent me a message on Tinder. She's not a very attractive woman. I, I, I just have no luck going where everyone else goes. So on Tinder, she just sent me a message. I've never talked to her before, but we were a match. Yeah. She sent me a message, and I'm not kidding. This Dude, is, you're 48 years old. No, and this is her opening line. What's cooking? Good looking. Oh, wow. Is that a line from the 50s? What uh, yeah, wasn't, wasn't that wasn't that a Little Richard song like back in 1952? <laughs> hey, good looking. What you got cooking? Was the, the name of the song? So I'm you know going out hey, with hey. Harriet. I'm apparently going out with Harriet from Ozzy and Harriet. Hey, you know what? Sit on it, Potsy. <laughs> you guys are too old for me. Yeah, do you even know who Potsy is? I have no fucking idea who. R- Happy is. days, Fonzie, Richie. I mean, who knew who Fonzie was? I mean, you have to understand. I grew up with like the Jonas hey, Brothers. the Fonz. Yeah, hey. he was hot. I'm he was putting high. my thumbs up right now. <laughs> hey, but was, are, are you on Tinder? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm actually I'm not actively like always on Tinder, but my um, my sorority a lot. There was a resurgence of of Tinder activity this past year, and it was a lot of girls going out with guys that were older in law school, grad school. I'm really going back to school. I want to go back and be a grad student. <laughs> yeah. I want to be an RA. I want to live on the. I want to go back to my old dorm room. I want to be an RA, and I want to be <laughs> advice and counsel to the lady. It is fascinating, though, and I think this theme continues to rear its ugly head that women mature earlier, women in their earlier early 20s, uh, a lot of them have lived a life and experienced things that make them appreciate an older man who's more secure, more stable, m- more uh, genuine, and, and maybe more gentle with women than yeah. guys or boys in their early 20s who are in college. And that's, you know, I, I think it, what bears that out is the statistics and the studies that show 
the 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 incredibly disgusting rate of sexual abuse in college Mm -hmm. um and what is it now one out of five or one out of four women who go to college are going to be sexually abused in some way whether it's by Mm -hmm. a friend or a date or a or, or somebody does that surprise you is the prevalence of sexual abuse in college accurate yeah completely accurate i mean i feel that women in college a lot of the times are expected to have sex with men um, their own age. Men or boys. Boys, Bo- the, boys. The college boys. College boys. Um, because as you guys have said, it's a hookup culture. I mean, we're expected to hook up with each other. And it's sad. I am a very sexual, I would consider myself a woman, not a girl. But at the same time, I'm very understanding of the fact that women should decide how their sexuality is portrayed to others. And at this time in college, right now, women are portrayed as my culture is you dress slutty, you go to the bar, you go to a party, you hook up with the guy, you go home in the morning, you walk, you do your walk of shame, you come back. Those are, that's how women are portrayed in college. It's a different world. It's, yeah. uh, it's not the world that I remember college being. And uh, Chris, I, you probably agree with me. It just in the late 80s, early 90s, that's, uh, that's not the way it was. It wasn't. But I do want to ask this before we wrap it up. What are you, uh, what are you passionate about? What's your degree in? And, and what are you hoping to get a job in? And is it important to you that uh, your prospective mate share those passions? Or would you like to keep that separate? Well, my major right now, I have a double major in international relations and advertising. Um and I got those two majors just because I felt that I wanted the business side of everything and that creative side, but I also wanted um, the worldly side. So I am getting a job in recruiting, actually. So it's kind of more on the business side of everything. A big thing for me is I, when I was searching for a job, I was looking for an opportunity that gave me an option to not only drive myself intellectually and on that business side, but also... Um, help me grow my happiness and figure out what I really wanted to do because I feel that in the four years that you are at school, it's so hard and so incredibly difficult to find a major or something that you actually want to do. Like that is what you want to do for the rest of your life. I feel that's almost impossible. I think that's a big thing with millennials graduating right now. I know so many of my friends, they're not looking for jobs that it's like, oh, I graduated with a supply chain degree. I want to do this exact position. A lot of it is about the culture and how it's going to make them feel because I feel as though as millennials, we've been taught to um, use our emotions a lot with our decision making. So I have to to ask you, we're we're doing this interview in uh, mid-February of a presidential election year. If you were to vote for president today, who would you vote for? I lean more on the Republican side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to vote right now, that's so hard. So if it I was really if know. it was Donald Trump against Hillary. I would vote for Hillary Clinton. Really? Yeah. Really. So if it was Trump against Bernie Sanders. I probably wouldn't vote. <laughs> Being only honest with you. But I feel like I'm a poor representation of um, college students right now because I feel that college students in general are nowadays i don't know i can't speak for your generation by any means but i feel that as millennials we tend to be way more liberal um Mm -hmm. because those social views and those social issues are in the forefront of our of our minds i mean gay rights Mm -hmm. gun gun laws things like that are things that people pro-choice pro-choice um those issues are something that people 
think about more nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I would say my generation looks less at the financial issues of certain standpoints. Um, So I think that kind of drives their political views. So I would say I am definitely an outcast when it comes to the millennial generation of political views. But I'm definitely not a Trump supporter, so... I just want everyone to know that if you're listening to this, if you even care. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, uh, Rachel, I, I want to thank you for coming on and being so honest. And we, you know, we obviously used a different name for you and and tried to mask a little bit where where you go to school. And uh, but uh, you know, I think talking about some of this stuff is pretty brave, and I think a lot of it needs to be talked about and isn't talked about: sexuality and intimacy and the view towards relationships and towards politics and towards the world is much different today in 2016 than it was in 1996 or 1986 and uh it's important to bring that to to the forefront so i thanks for coming on they have so much more information and so much access to news and media and stuff like that it's totally different back when we were doing it we had i had to subscribe to the chicago tribune and have it delivered to my uh mailbox every morning and actually get the print paper out and read it but now you guys can go online and read about all the different candidates it's cool man it must be an exciting time to be coming into the world jesus world. christ so, you yeah. sound old dude <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks guys thanks hey, for joining thanks us. everybody thank you, thank you rachel chris and remember if you look hard enough you'll always find middle, middle ground, ground. Right, where care. we live thanks Have everyone a good week.